So today we're gonna talk about, well, we're gonna talk about a few things, but we're gonna open up talking about Google Authenticator and how they just rolled out something that's pretty meme worthy in my eyes, <laughs> because at least in the past, we could be like, hey, it's just offline, it's no big deal. It's fine if it's not open source, like you can just turn off the internet access to that app. It's like not a big mm -hmm. deal. But now this is like, now we can officially say like, just <laughs> don't touch Google Authenticator. Ridiculous, yeah. Right. So I think you're a little bit more familiar with the details here. So do you want to kind of cover what happened? Google Authenticator is a, is an app that you store your 2FA codes for. So it's just like uh, any of the authenticators we recommend, like Ravio or Aegis. Is that how you say this? I never I never hear these words out loud. I, <laughs> I just I see know. them on the screen. <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's funny when you make video content because yeah, no one actually says these because it's all just online. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah, but then I've heard Aegis. I've heard Aegis. I've heard, I don't know. Just guessing. People know what we're talking about. Yeah, you store those six-digit <laughs> codes in there, generates them. Pretty simple. Um, the old version, it hadn't been updated for a long time. They released it in like 2010 or something and then pretty much never changed it except for like a minor material design update a few years ago. And then um, a few days ago, they released a major update, which included like cloud syncing. Um, so all of your codes are backed up to your Google account now. Um, and the, the meme-worthy changes that we were talking about is that that new cloud sync functionality um, uh, doesn't end-to-end -end encrypt your data. It's just sending your 2FA secrets directly to Google where they could access them if they wanted. Um, or they could be, if there was ever a data breach, they could be hacked. Yeah, that is very problematic because it kind of like turns what 2FA is supposed to be right on its head. Right. Because it's supposed to be just something you have, not something that's stored on the cloud for someone else to access. Because now it's effectively just like a second password, almost. Does Google still not allow you to view and export your seeds? Because that, that used to be also my gripe with them. That, I believe so. I have to actually check that out because um, I have heard that from people. That it still doesn't let you back up your codes. That's even though there's this cloud sync functionality. That's what I've heard as well. So if anyone wants to disprove that, definitely let us know in the comments. But based on both of our understandings, Google still doesn't let you view or export your seeds, meaning if you want to use a different app, like if you want to move over to an open source app, because again, this is all an open standard. There's no reason for these companies not to give you that seed. There's no security risk to that, as far as I can tell, assuming they like maybe they'll ask for a password or your PIN if you set one up. But like outside that, there's no reason for them not to share it with you unless they want to keep you in that ecosystem. And honestly, maybe that's what Google's doing here. Maybe this is Google's way of responding to things like Authy and are trying to keep people in the Google Authenticator ecosystem. Um, I don't know what incentive they have to do that, but... Yeah, I don't know. If, if anything, it's weird to me um, because I would feel like they would be disincentivized to do something like this um, where they like tie the security of your codes to your Google account because my general understanding of why this app exists in the first place is that they made it so you could secure your Google account. Like that's its primary purpose. Um, they were one of the first sites to, you know, widely support 2FA. Um, it used to not be super common. And now it's kind of, I don't see how you could use it to secure your Google account if it's, if your codes are being backed up to it. It's a weird situation to me. Oh, there is an update now. I was just gonna say, I'd, I think I just saw it, but you can say it. Yeah, so there is an update that we're seeing right now. Actually, this happened like right before we started recording. The company has plans to add end-to-end -end encryption to Authenticator, quote, down the line. Uh, <laughs> interesting. So I bet it'll be 
I bet it'll be a situation similar to how Chrome syncs all of your Chrome data, where it's end-to-end -end encrypted with your Google password by default, but you can add an optional like sync passphrase to encrypt it with that instead of your Google account credentials. Mm -hmm. So I get, I bet it'll be like an optional password that they let you add. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, this isn't rocket science, especially for a company <laughs> like Google. I mean, Apple at this point has released end-to-end -end encryption across almost all of their cloud services at this point. And with right. the advanced data protection program, which we covered in a previous Techler Talks. This one is just an authenticator app <laughs> that's storing <laughs> like that's storing strings of text for each yeah. service. It's literally like a 12 digit string of text or something like it's like 16. I, I forgot the amount of digits. I think it can be different between services as well. But either way, the point stands this. This is ridiculous. Yeah, it feels like they could have figured that out by the launch. I heard that the reason for this is because they don't want people to get locked out of their own data. But that didn't seem to bother them for the 13 years this app has existed without <laughs> any kind of sync or <laughs> backup situation at all. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, like there's nothing to lose here. But yeah, yeah, no, you're right. This is an official, it looks like this is an official Google employee here that says exactly what you just said on Twitter. End-to-end -end encryption is a powerful feature that provides extra protections, but at the cost of enabling users to get locked out of their own data without recovery. Mm -hmm. And it's like that's always a that's a common talking point against end-to-end -end encryption. That was a reason that that was the public reason that Apple gave for not introducing end-to-end -end encryption on all their services for a long time. But it seems like like we have so many encrypted services now that it seems like people have figured out how to do this so it's obviously possible it's not a really great excuse anymore it's possible and also it's not hard to make it an option like that's what apple's apple right. this isn't a default exactly if you're just using icloud you don't have end-to-end -end encryption but if you enroll in the advanced data protection program then they are like hey you have to download a recovery key which you should have one set up anyway if you have an icloud account you don't have a recovery key you should set one up because it's a little bit more secure um and if you already have one set up, it's the same recovery key. You don't actually have to set up a new recovery key when you enable um, advanced data protection. And so Google could do the same thing where it's like, hey, by default, you know, we encrypt our data in transit, at rest, blah, blah, blah. But if you want end-to-end -end encryption, you have to opt in and download a recovery key, which, by the way, if you're already managing your own authenticator app, you should already be kind of doing this because if you're using something like Aegis, Aegis, whatever you want to say, you're probably backing up your vault somewhere and saving a password to unlock that vault, which is, in my eyes, equally as challenging as just saving a recovery key in your password manager. So, yeah, they should have never rolled this out without end-to-end -end encryption. It's kind of a joke, and I'm glad that the community stepped up. This is like a valid community criticism, I feel. Yep. I'm glad people are talking about it, too. Um, of course, just like before, I'm still not going to recommend anyone use it <laughs> <laughs> at all. It doesn't really matter what they do in my eyes, but I know that some people will use it. So for those people, uh, it's it's good to have. I agree. Well, playing devil's it advocate, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Is there another authenticator app that offers end-to-end -end encrypted cloud syncing on on all like operating systems? I guess all mobile operating systems like this. Um, there's, a, there's an app that we've been looking at lately that recently went open source. It's called 
two FAs, two FAS. Oh, that's right. I saw that one too. I think you've seen that. It, yeah. They went open source earlier this year, and it seems to be... Um, I think they have a browser extension as well as mobile app, so it's cross-platform. Um, and should be end-encrypted. Everything about it looks good. We just haven't really fully dove into it yet to figure everything out, so can't like strongly recommend it, but it's open source encrypted, something that we're looking at. Yeah, it looks quite polished, so maybe a future video. Well, kind of on the topic of videos and 2FA, um, we published that YubiKey 2FA review. Dude, the, the story behind that's so funny because, well, it's not funny, um, but Yubico reached out in like October 2021 or something like that. And they're like, hey, do you guys want to like review some stuff for us? And we're like, I'm like, yeah, of course. Like I've wanted to for a while. So they sent us some review units and uh, it kind of like continually ended up on the back burner, like a lot of the things we do. And before I knew it, you know, we did record that video in summer of last year, but we only published it recently because we recorded like 10 videos all at once and we're still rolling those out, which is why we have so many videos just scattered through a production right now. They're like, oh, this was recorded in 2022, not 2023. Um, but yeah, uh, they canceled our affiliate. There was supposed to be an affiliate link on that video for like YubiKeys and oh, really? they canceled our affiliate plan. Cause it's, it's like a year <laughs> and a half later. And I'm like, yeah, I don't blame you guys. So we just push out the video anyway. Cause it's like, it's not worth it. Like, I don't want to like pick a battle over this. Like we kind of screwed up and like, it's fine. Like if people really? are going to buy them anyway, it's fine. It doesn't change our review. So it's, I thought that was a funny story. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. I never heard back from them either. Huh. I reached out and I'm like, hey, we, we have a review ready to go. And they're like, crickets. <laughs> maybe you'll hear, hear uh, maybe you'll hear from them now. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask for your take on this. So I actually left a very, I don't normally leave like really long responses to YouTube comments, but someone actually asked a really good question and I felt it was like worthy enough for me to give them like a really solid response. Um, and I wanted to hear your take on it. So someone asked, what is the risk of leaving one, one is a hardware key, in your laptop if, say, your laptop was stolen? Do you remove the, Yubi the YubiKey or security key when you're not using it? I wanted to hear your take because I feel like that's kind of a misunderstood thing if people are like, well, if it's in there in my laptop, then doesn't that like keep everything in one basket in a way? Um. Yeah, I mean, it does in a sense, like if your laptop was stolen, they'd also need your password, um, That, which is exactly why there's two factors. It's not YubiKey only, typically. The, the main threat for people is, by and large, like remote attacks, right? Like you're, you're not being hacked by, typically, somebody in your immediate vicinity. So, there aren't like people going around stealing laptops just to hack your digital identity um it's mostly you're under attack from like hackers in foreign countries that you could never catch and there's so many of them because the internet is worldwide it's so accessible that you have to protect against the entire world at once so the the benefit to um just having one of these at all is that it narrows it down to just the people in your immediate physical vicinity which is a much much smaller group of people to defend against um, I, it, it really depends on your, um, on what level of risk that you're willing to take though, I think, um, as to whether you leave it in your laptop all the time or not. Like if you're really concerned about that, YubiKey has like, um, 
has keys that have fingerprint scanners built in, for example. So um, you can use that as an option. Um, you can always just keep it separate and keep it on like a keychain or something and only connect it when you need it, that kind of thing. But um, for most people, realistically, it's probably fine if you left it in your laptop because um, you're still protecting yourself from like 99.9% .9 of all of the people trying to hack into your account, right? Right. I just edited the comment to add. I forgot they offered biometric keys, and that's a really good point. So yeah, that did... is a new thing. It's pretty neat. Right. I really like that. Um, along with everything else you just said, what I also added to this person's comment, because I think it's a good question, is um, this really, for me, uh, outlines the importance of like layering up on your security. Because if you have if you have a laptop with like a weak you know login password and no full disk encryption and someone steals your laptop with your YubiKey, then you're kind of screwed because assuming they want to get in and they want to break in because then they can just break in and maybe your browser still save your session cookies or things like that. And then they kind of have everything they need to gain access to your account. Or maybe you keep your passwords in like a unencrypted like notepad on your computer. Then they have email, password, YubiKey, and they can get into all your accounts. But in theory, if your device is completely secure, they're not going to be able to get into your operating system. So all they're going to have is a key and right. you can't really get into any accounts with just a key unless it's unless you're using like a pass key type of situation with um, with Fido. Yeah, that's that's kind of it. Which but I guess even then you have to that's secured with a pin typically. So right. And there's still a pin there, um, mm -hmm. which is another thing I left in the comment. And the other thing, too, is like, this is why layering up is important. Let's say you can't get full disk encryption, or let's say someone bypasses your full disk encryption and your password and they have access to your operating system. Then what? You can still have protections in place, even if someone has complete access to your operating system and your YubiKey. This is when, this is for like higher threats, but like this is when you have browsers that don't save any data on exit, because mm -hmm. then there's no saved credentials in your browsers. Um, and this is when you have to make sure you have a strong master password for your password manager. Because then no one can really access anything, even if they have access to your operating system. And even from there, if you want to have a higher threat model, what if someone breaks in your password manager from there? Do you have protections in place to still have like some variants of protection within your password manager? Do you have things like appended passwords at the end of each random randomly generated password to offer you like one last layer of protection? So this is kind of what it speaks to me as. It's like, yeah, someone can steal your laptop with their YubiKey. You're probably fine. Um, but if you want to be ultra secure, then yeah, you can keep them separate. But I think I'm more concerned about if someone steals my laptop, I just lost one of my keys. I have to make sure I have a backup. So it's always yep. important to have a backup. Yeah, you definitely need to buy these <laughs> <laughs> in a pair, at least, you know, you gotta, you gotta have two of them. Agreed. Two or more. Um, mm -hmm. uh, another thing that I've seen a couple people ask about, um, even before this video, it's just a general confusion um is like whether any identifiable information is stored on these yubikeys that was... or like can websites use one to like correlate your account between different services that kind of thing yeah that was a good question that was asked in our patron signal chat we have a signal group chat for patrons join our patron if you want to join that <laughs> um and the answer is no uh the the fido2 and the previous u2f um protocols that these websites use for encryption are were designed with privacy in mind so no like identifiable information gets stored on the yubikey if you find one on the street you're not going to be able to plug it in and find out what accounts are stored on that what accounts can be 
can that key be used on? Um, and then similarly, like, um, websites can't identify the key that you're using. So like two websites couldn't talk to each other and find out if somebody used the same key on both accounts to kind of correlate that information. So, so is what you're saying, like each website, so let's say ProtonMail has their like half-baked U2F support, and then Google has good U2F support. Um, ProtonMail would get its own unique identifier for the key, and Google would get its own unique identifier for the key, and so they wouldn't be able to directly correlate those two things. Absolutely, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's really cool, because um, actually, I don't think we got a comment about that, which surprises me, because we didn't actually acknowledge that point in our YubiKey video. And is that universal for all of these security keys, or is that just a YubiKey? Yeah, that's part of the that's part of the uh, FIDO two or web often standard. Um, Very cool. That they're privacy protecting. I do actually think um, that YubiKey has their own proprietary authentication protocol, like Yubi OTP or something that might not be as privacy protecting. Um, I have only seen one website ever use that and i don't i think <laughs> i think it might have been last pass oh my honestly, god no <laughs> that used <laughs> if i'm remembering correctly i could be wrong but that's my memory right now i it's very rare so i don't think you'll have to <laughs> most people won't have to worry about that but <laughs> that's really funny yeah that's good stuff though mm -hmm. um that's all i have on the 2fa side of things unless there's something else you wanted to add no, I'll have to, I haven't watched your video about it yet, so I'll have to check it out. It's pretty bare bones. It's one of our, <laughs> like, that summer lineup, I think we went a little too far because we recorded those 10 videos over summer, and I think we went a little too far into, like, the simplistic content format because we were trying to be like, okay, well, can we make, like, all our videos just super short and condensed in, like, six to seven minutes so that way people are, like, more likely to, like, maybe, like, get more noobs on board but they're not performing that well. In fact, I think that like it, people seem to prefer the longer, more nuanced stuff because that's what makes us different from a lot of other channels, I think. And so it's cool to have like our longer form content and actually it performs better anyway. So I think that's what we should continue sticking with because people like the more um, complicated, nuanced, like, oh, this is kind of nice here, but not so nice here. 10 plus minute content, like our Proton review. Um, you know, we could have done a six minute variant of that Proton review. I don't think it would have performed that well. Um, but the fact that we did that super long Proton review and people really enjoyed it overall. Um, actually, speaking of, um, <laughs> it's interesting because I, I, I just published a blog post for that. And I don't know. It's it's weird. I don't think it's overly pessimistic nor optimistic. I think it, to me it felt like a review. But maybe it's like fanboys are going to fanboy because I still got a lot of people going, well, do you like Proton or not? And it's like, I, I, I do. I use them. But this is a review. And then, yeah. <laughs> like, it's a review. Like, are you mentioned this kind of jokingly, but I don't know if it's real. Like, are people just so used to, like, sponsored reviews that, like, when people actually criticize things in reviews, they think that it's, like, strongly against the service? And it's like, no, like, it's not meant to be an overwhelmingly positive take on something. It's meant to be critical and tell people exactly what to expect before they buy something. It's a weird phenomenon to me. It just seems like a lot of people don't understand that you can criticize something that you like. Right. We're all in <laughs> well, on Proton stuff. Like, right. for TechLore, like all our, if you email contact at techlore.tech from a Proton email, it, it will have the Proton little blue icon because we're using Proton for the TechLore email. But 
and we can still make a review and be like, no, there's problems here because like here, here's, here's like the target audience for a review. It's someone who's like, okay, I have a business or I need to get a new email address for myself and my personal life. Either or doesn't matter. I'm going to look at some Tutanota reviews. I want to see what this suite is about. I want to look at some Proton reviews and see what this suite is about. I want to look at some Google Workspace reviews and see what their suite is about. And I'm going to compare the pros and cons between them based on these reviews that I found. Because I'm about to give them money. My own hard-earned money. And I want to have like actual objective information about these services. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I don't know what to tell it's, you. <laughs> it's doing a disservice to not be honest, I feel. but Absolutely, yeah. I don't know. Um, I mean, I thought you were kind of too nice to Proton in your review, so. <laughs> I, that's, 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 that's the, that's the youth, that's what's like behind the scenes. I think I get angrier about these things. And so like people like you on Signal hear me complain about these things every day. And everyone's like, wow, you really lightened it up for the public. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, Jonah just to get formally invited through his visionary plan. But Proton did release Proton Pass, which is their password manager. First thoughts, go. My initial impression so far is that it's pretty feature limited right now, but it's a very polished user experience. I would say that everything that it does right now, it does well, um, it, 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 as far as I've seen so far. Um, it has a pretty slick integration with simple login out of the box with new, completely brand new, um, like pass mail domains that aren't in the normal simple login set of domains. Um, so. Um, yeah, everything seems to work in my limited testing so far. I just started using it recently, but, um, like autofill works, the saving password prompt is pretty slick. It just, everything just seems to work so far. Um, right now it's pretty limited. It doesn't have like custom fields, I don't think, or, um, like anything except just a simple username and password per login. Um, Whereas other password managers will let you store like different types of items and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, right now they have like an kind of, they have a broad note category for each thing. So you can have username, password, TOTP, I believe, and then note. And note is just broad, like type out whatever the hell you want because it's a note. Um, so yeah, it'd be cool to have more like formal fields like Bitwarden has or especially KeePass because KeePass you can make like custom fields for anything and it's really powerful network. I don't know if Bitwarden does that but um, I'm not sure I know one password does that so that's what I like about it a lot yeah it's a cool feature um, on my end uh, I, I agree with you completely so far like everything I'm actually very impressed with how polished it is so far um, and I think it's one of the best rollouts I've seen from Proton because normally, like, they'll release, like, everything on desktop first, and then they'll get, like, one mobile app, like, four months later, and then the next mobile app comes out four months later, and then they, like, slowly leak out of beta over the course of the next, like, six months. Um, this one, though, it's, like, you can actually use it on pretty much all your devices right now, um, with the exception of Firefox. Is it live on Firefox yet? Um, oh, let me double check. Yes. Awesome. There it is on the Firefox store. Um, it's marked as experimental. Interesting. I've never seen that on the Firefox add-on store before. Hmm. Hmm. Well, that's actually really important because this is my biggest gripe right now with Proton Pass. Is that so? With Proton Mail, Proton Drive, Proton whatever, when you click on that little four dots on the top left, and you have all four of them in your little suite. As mm -hmm. of right now, there is no Proton 
Pass. There's no central web app for right. Proton Pass. It's only in the extension. You have to use the Proton Pass extension to use Proton Pass on your computer. It's not a program you download. It's not even a web app. It's literally in the extension. And that's actually my biggest gripe with it because now it's like in this little tiny window. Because I haven't found a way to like view all my passwords like full screen. It, it just lives yeah. in my little extension window because that's all it is. It's just an extension. So actually it was a really big deal and a bigger deal than I thought it was that Proton initially announced this without Firefox support because it meant you literally couldn't access your passwords on a Firefox-based browser. You had to use a Chromium-based browser. That's no longer a thing, which is awesome. So it's nice to see them actually roll this out to all clients. I don't know why they didn't wait, like, what, four days, five? Like, I don't know why they didn't wait a week to just wait for Firefox to be live so that they can say it's on all clients. But, like, for 99% of users, they're never going to know because almost no one has access to this right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can definitely forgive them for things like that in the yeah. in the beta period, so. Yeah, agreed. But yeah, I agree. It's it's smooth. I, I, I would like to see, like, some kind of central client, though, on desktop. Um, even yeah. if it's a web app. It doesn't need to be, like, a program you install, but it'd be cool to even have a web app that you can, like, bookmark and kind of install to your system so you can just load ProtonPass and view your passwords. Maybe even offline, question mark. Does it work offline? Have you checked that out? I have not tried that yet, and I didn't get the mobile apps until just a few hours ago, so I haven't used those at all. I've only used the extension so far, so um, definitely still have to test out some of that stuff. Same. I, I would touched... imagine the apps, I would hope the apps would work offline, but <laughs> I guess we'll figure that out. Me too. I haven't touched the mobile apps either. I'll have to try them out and see how they integrate with especially Android autofill iOS has mm. really good native autofill support, but Android yeah. is awful. It's so bad on Android, dude. And like it is. It's terrible. And then even like individual browsers have to support it as well. It's mm -hmm. oh my god. So That bad. is one of the main things. Like there's been a lot of things that are keeping me off of Android and I thought that I I was using my Pixel again and I was thinking like maybe I could switch to this. Um as my main phone because I can probably get over most of this stuff, but that is, it's the worst experience trying to use a password manager. Like if you're used to things just working correctly the first time, it's hard to, it's hard to give that up. <laughs> Agreed. And it's weird how like even password managers, like I think KeePassDX, like the way they have to work sometimes is that don't they need like the accessibility permission to like record your screen the whole time? That is definitely a thing, like, um, with password managers, like, like, requesting accessibility options. I know when I was trying 1Password on Android, they had, like, three different ways you could enable autofill. And you were supposed to enable all of them so that it worked in all the apps. There's the native autofill. There's um, that accessibility one where you can, like, draw over the screen and, like, that type one. it into apps that don't support it. And then there's, like, another weird one. There's, like, special integrations with certain browsers, stuff like that. It's... It's ridiculous on Android. That's a joke. No, that's a joke. I mean, on iOS, for people who don't use iOS, Apple has, like, I assume some kind of, like, operating system API that every app and every browser hooks into directly that just natively hooks into any password manager. It can hook into Apple's password manager. It can hook into KeePass. It can hook into Bitwarden. It can hook into any native app you have installed that utilizes this. I assume it's some kind of API or something. Yeah. And it must just be the exact same API that iCloud Keychain uses because it's very well supported in apps. There are a couple apps where sometimes it doesn't 
work. Like for some reason, the password prompt doesn't come up over the keyboard for some reason, but that's happened like two or three times maybe ever in two or three different apps on my iPhone. Whereas like probably more than 50% of the apps on my Pixel just don't support autofill for no reason at all. Yes. I remember that being a problem. Actually, for a short time, I was thinking about switching to Bitwarden, but I was using Android at the time. And the way that Bitwarden handled autofill was significantly worse than whatever KeyPass client I was using. Maybe it was KeyPass DX or something like that. I forgot what it was, but whatever KeyPass client I was using on Android, it handled autofill better than Bitwarden. And I, I like rage quit Bitwarden on Android because I think it didn't natively, it didn't work I don't know if this is still a thing. This is based on my memory. So please, I'm saying this in good faith. I want to say that Bitwarden didn't work with Brave. How long ago did you use that? Do you remember? That was a while ago. Um, might have been like close to a year ago. So this might have been, this might be fixed now. Maybe it was a different browser. I just remember whatever browser I was using back then, which I would like to guess was probably Brave, was not compatible with Bitwarden. And I did not want to open Bitwarden manually every time and like manually like switch apps to copy username, switch apps to copy password. And then it's a joke. You, I, I sent this to you, so you wanted to talk about it. Um, Brave Search got some massive updates. Yeah. Uh, every web search result in Brave Search is now served by their own index. They don't have any API calls to ping. That's cool. Interesting. Yeah. So the context there is that Brave was kind of like slowly migrating to their own results and they would show you like how what percentage of results were actually from Brave's own crawlers and their own index and which results came from third parties like Bing and whatnot. And then they also have a setting where it's like if we feel like we don't get good enough results, do you want us to also include Google results? But I don't think that was on by default. I think you had to turn that on. Um, yeah. And I think that is still there. Just that, that is still there in, in their announcement. They said that. Yeah, cool. Um, but that's kind of exciting. It's nice to have like one completely independent search engine using their own crawlers. I've seen people accuse this of not being legitimate, but I haven't seen any evidence of it not being legitimate. And I don't know why Brave would make this up. Brave doesn't want to pay Bing for every search result. Yeah. Um, it is kind of interesting. It's strange to me. Um, I guess my question is, what are they doing different than everyone else because I feel like this has been attempted by other people in the past and it, it's been pretty disastrous results for most of them. Like people can't compete with Google or even Bing, which is already barely competes with Google in the eyes of many people. Um, and yet Brave seems to, I don't hear a lot of complaints about Brave search. People generally like it. Um, it's so it seems to work well. It's not my daily driver, so I don't use it all the time, but I've used it before and I haven't noticed any problems with it. So it seems to be good. And I, it's not really clear to me what they're doing. That's so different than everyone else who's tried this before. Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. The way I see it, cause from a, from a strict privacy perspective, if we're just talking privacy, there's nothing that this is necessarily offering that you can't receive from something like start page that just proxies Google results. Cause then you can just have Google results privately or um, search NG or whatever you want to refer to it as. And now Mulvad's Leva search engine, which also proxies Google results. Like if you just want privacy and you want good results, there's already options for that. Um, and what Brave is even advertising in their headline is providing real alternative to big tech search. 
so I think that what they're really targeting here is just trying to offer a not search engine from a big company and not like feeding into that ecosystem. Um, yeah. And I think maybe like the financial incentive here, which is the other part of this announcement, which is really kind of big and they only kept a short little paragraph here, is that they're announcing an API for the Brave Search. So I think they're hoping that other search engines are going to start using Brave Search as for like a meta search engine. Kind of like how StartPage uses Google, Brave thinks that people are going to start using the Brave Search for their own search engines. And that would give them a lot of money, I assume, because I assume being right. So maybe that's what's going on here. Maybe that's their, their business model here. They're really hoping to lean on that API down the road. And in the meantime, they can advertise this as like a not big tech search engine, which is going to be attractive to the same people who are like, well, I'm not going to use Chromium because it's developed by one company. So I'm going to use Firefox instead, which is ironic because Brave is built on Chromium so the, <laughs> but whatever. Um, I think that target audience might appreciate that. Frankly, I don't really care. I just like Brave Search because I get decent results with it, and I don't get captured. So, do you uh, do you see any existing search engines taking on that API, like DuckDuckGo, for example? Given their competitors, no. That's kind of the problem here. I think. That, the... Yeah, that's what I see. But are they're competitors with Bing? They're not. Right? I mean, sort of, sort of, but not really, because DuckDuckGo is completely reliant on Bing while still being a competitor of Bing. Right. So it's hard to tell. But also, I feel like DuckDuckGo, I don't see them implementing this because now this is like two private search. This is like StartPage having DuckDuckGo results within StartPage. Like that's a direct, that's like a privacy search engine competitor and you're starting to use their results. And also you're paying them to use the results. So DuckDuckGo would have to have enough incentive to use Brave search results and pay them to use it, which I don't think they do. So who do you think the target for this new API is? I have no idea and I don't know what they're thinking. Um, Let's see what they say. Through it, developers and companies will be able to build search experiences that compete on quality with big tech. Those interested should stay tuned for more details or contact us at bizdev at brave.com. Maybe they're thinking less of like a whole search engine and maybe they're looking to maybe just sell the technology that they use for their search in like niche environments. Like maybe like you build an app and you want it to include a search. Um, and I think Google somehow allows you to incorporate Google search into things like like websites, like on websites, you can search inside of a website and the blog post on a website and it uses like Google search. It's like powered by Google search. Maybe they're looking at like internal uses like that. I don't know. This is all speculation, but I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't really know like who's going to be leaning on this. Maybe they're going to offer cheaper results than being in Google so that like new search engines will lean on them instead. But it'll be interesting to see how that works out. I almost hope that they that there's like a public version of this. It would be cool if like search ng, for example, had a official a API they could query from like all these meta search engines out there. That would and be like, cool. They could add Bing instead of like scraping like they're doing now. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what the long term strategy is for this, but I think it's I think it's cool that they got this far. Um, I know they rolled out the AI thing to their search engine and I didn't care. I just don't I, I can't express to you how much I do not care about like services just like 
half-assing this AI into their service because they think they have to because ChatGPT is like in the news. Like Snapchat? Definitely a lot of that. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. Snapchat <laughs> <Like>, is <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> it's so stupid. And did you see that? Like they have like an, they got so many one-star reviews because of that too. Yeah. And I think people are like kind of done with it. It's like, okay, guys, we get it. ChatGPT is here. It doesn't mean we want it in every service in our lives. We don't need like, we don't need Logitech to release some new software with AI in it to try to predict what you're going to type right now. We just don't. Yeah. I'm really glad that that is the response from people. Because I feel like I see a lot of um, tech people and software developers online who think that this is the greatest thing ever. And they're trying to envision so many different ways that AI can be used. Um, and it, I, I think they're just out of touch with the reality that most people don't actually want this. Um, the most egregious thing that I've seen recently, I don't know if you saw this, but there's a startup that's working on turning like your files and emails into a chatbot and their <laughs> their like selling point is that like in the future we're all going to be we're going to be friends with more robots than people and we're going to help you turn your pdfs into chatbots and <laughs> it's the most bleak thing that i've ever heard <laughs> that some people out there genuinely think that we're going to be more friends with more robots than people I mean, yeah, I don't see that actually happening. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a lose lose because either they're they're just wrong in the product just based on a totally incorrect premise or they're correct. And we now live in a world where we're friends with the robots instead of people. And now we're using this <laughs> crappy ass AI thing that forces us to interact with PDFs as a friend. PDFs are not my friend. Adobe's not my friend. <laughs> Let me st state it's that right so now. Ridiculous. <laughs> No, that's, it's really depressing. Honestly, it's really sad to see. Um, and I feel like this is just a general mindset thing. But you're, you're right. I think that there might be some users, like maybe like new age, you know, tech hipsters who are like, oh, yeah, this is cool. Snapchat has an AI. Let me play with it. But outside of like that, that new technology, shiny selling point, I don't think that like functionally, it really does anything. And I don't think it changes people's usability that much at least right now and i'm not saying that like ai is all bad or all good it's just that like people are just trying to force it into every product right now just to say oh we have ai in our product because they think that people care and i can tell you as at least for me and i know i'm probably on the weird end of this because i'm overall pretty anti-technology i think like wow you are kind of like being ridiculous right now and it makes you look very desperate to be rolling out ai like this into a service that doesn't need it and it offers like no real incentive or real selling point on top of your already decent service, most likely. So I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely, I think for most people, for most startups, it's kind of a cash grab situation. It's like, it's this, this is the newest blockchain. It, I was just going to say La it's the new blockchain. <laughs> Last year, it was like zero trust was the, was the big thing. And now it's AI everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, there I will was... always be some keywords, you know? I don't know. It's it's kind of sad, though, because I don't know. It, I guess it depends. I'd like to see research on how many people actually give a crap about AI, because I it's kind of depressing to see how quickly people are to hop on a new trend just because it's a trend without critically thinking about the trend. Um, because, again, I'm not inherently anti AI, but I'm anti everyone should be jumping on this just because it's the new buzzword. That's what I'm against. Um, because we don't really know what's going to happen with AI. This could replace everyone's jobs or this could be nothing. It could be like just a tool that people use to save time and it's nothing but beneficial to humans. But the fact that like we don't even care about the consequences, we're not critically thinking about this and we're just rolling it out 
because we can and because we have this free market and everyone's like, well, we got to hop on it. That's what concerns me. And I think it really talk. It speaks to our initial reaction to look for profits over everything else, at least in the yeah. Western countries. But that's a whole different Techler talks. <laughs> yeah, this is this has been an issue for a long time. This isn't this isn't a new thing. I hope that we somehow made two FA exciting for people because <laughs> it's really exciting. Oh yeah. Um, but no. Um, thanks everyone for tuning in. As always, it's been a while. It's been like over a month since we did our last formal Techler talks. And I guess for people who didn't see our blog post, um, I I don't know how happy Jonah is about this because he said he's very particular about how he likes things organized. But as of right now, Techler Talks is kind of just the broad Techler podcast that includes the formal Techler Talks, but in between our discussions, sometimes we'll post like bonus interviews and things like that, which I know is probably driving Jonah crazy. Um, but it's fine. Um, I made my own playlist on my channel. <laughs> That's just these. <laughs> oh, you're gonna you, you cut those out? <laughs> yeah. That's really funny. Oh my god. Uh, that's just good. It bothered me. Yeah. <laughs> um no that's really funny so if you want the the only jonah henry techlor <laughs> talks playlist you find that on jonah's youtube channel apparently i got you <laughs> um, but that was a recent change um but again as always uh thanks everyone for tuning in uh we see a lot of just positivity on these so it's really awesome to see that and um definitely join our patreon if you want to support us and you want us to keep on pushing content out it's been a pretty good strong month here um and it's cool to see that uh momentum moving forward and seeing more people take privacy seriously so thanks everyone for tuning in join our patreon down below patreon.com techlore there's other support methods too like libra pay you're going to directly support us through monero um there's tons of affiliate links for like privacy services you might otherwise just buy anyway so if you want to support us in the process there's like optional affiliate links too so there's tons of options to support what we're doing back here. So thanks everyone for watching and we'll see you next time for Techler Talks 10. Is this the ninth one? Yes. Awesome. We'll see you guys on the 10th one. All right. <laughs>